You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So on this episode of On This Day in History, we're, uh, we're kind of just running through a little bit of news to start with. Looking at some of the hirings and firings, talking a little bit about what is to come with this new Lafleur regime, for example, expect to be running more. Which actually is a message that we can continue, because a big thing that I was talking about was run blocking that did improve, but not so much in terms of... of player uh, acquisition. But anyways, a little bit of talk about that. And then most of the show is kind of just doing a year in review of the players. What did they do this year? How did they look this year overall? Um, And you'll have to excuse me. I didn't realize the name was Alan Lazard at the time and was calling him Alan Lazard. I really thought that's how you said his name. It's one of those things. It's one of those things you find out you're wrong and then refuse to say it because, like, it's not Lazard. I think I even made fun of that at some point. Like, it sounds like some, like, snobbish pronunciation. Like, it's excuse me, it's Lazard. But uh, I got over it, started calling him his name correctly. But you're going to have to tolerate that for this episode. Anyways, that's what it's about. We'll take a break and get into it. Otherwise, I will talk to y'all tomorrow. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So, um, I don't know what we're doing today. I know there's some uh, coaching news, but not a ton. So, after that, I'm just going to have to reach into the old bag of tricks and figure something out. But anyways, let's take a look at some of the more recent news. So, uh, as as I already mentioned, James Campen, I don't know if it was official or not, but it is now official. He's going to the Browns. Uh, Browns also got Todd Munkin, so a lot of Packer fans are really, really mad at the Browns right now. Because they just went on an absolute fury. They also got uh, Steve Wilkes, the um, the one-year head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, to be their defensive coordinator. So, yeah, they're, they're doing a lot of work. I don't think anybody here was looking at Steve Wilkes, but I know a lot of Packer fans liked Munkin. I wasn't quite as high on him as a lot of other people, but um, 
They took Munkin, or they, they got Munkin, they took uh, Campin from us. They actually made Campin, I think, uh, like O-line slash assistant head coach or something. Kind of a way to give him a little bit of promotion, and, and well-deserved for him. So good on him, but uh, we've got some work to do to try to replace him. But that's kind of what we're going to look at a little bit today, because now we have to find an offensive line coach. We have to find a um, you know passing game coordinator to replace Joe Witt. we got to find a wide receivers coach to replace Mr. Rye, who took a job with, who was it, Arizona? Pretty sure. Some other uh, relatively interesting news from yesterday. Brett Bielema could potentially be the um, Dolphins' uh, defensive coordinator. So if you remember, the Dolphins went out and got the Patriots' defensive coordinator, Brian Flores, or linebacker coach, whatever. I'm assuming they're they're hoping to have the same effect that the Detroit Lions had, which is to say they're not going to be successful, but at least they'll beat the Patriots. But uh, interestingly enough, he's looking for a uh, apparently a college defensive coordinator. I don't know. But uh, Brett Bielema was the coach of the Badgers for a while, so that's why that's somewhat interesting. But anyways, uh, the teams that we will be looking at, yesterday the Chargers got blown out by the Patriots. The Saints ended up beating out the Eagles. Saints did not look very good at all, but uh, ended up beating the Eagles. So the four teams left, Chiefs, Rams, Patriots, Saints. Really, really hoping for a Chiefs-Rams Super Bowl at this point. Which, I mean, it it just kind of goes to what we've been talking about. There's the two trees. McVeigh is in that Shanahan tree, and then obviously the originator himself, Mr. Andy Reid with the Chiefs. These are the two teams. These are the two teams that everybody's saying, oh, you're just trying to poach these new young guys. Well, look who's in the, <laughs> look who's going to be in the, the championship round. You got the Patriots, who are always the Patriots. You got the Saints, who have, you know, the, the Saints and the Patriots are these kind of consistently good teams. They don't come from any, I don't, I don't want to say they don't come from a tree, but it's not like a new thing. Patriots are their own tree. The Saints are their own tree. Packers are their own tree. Unless you want to go back 30 years or something. But in 2019, teams aren't really looking at the Patriots. Nobody's scrambling to incorporate that Earhart Perkins system. Not to say they can't pick little things out, but what people care about is Andy Reid, Sean McVay. That's sort of the gold standard right now. And again, for everybody saying, oh, you're just being ridiculous, you're just being lazy, whatever. No, man. This is what's working. Chiefs beat the Colts 31-13. to Colts look like a really good football team. The Rams beat the Cowboys 30-22. to Cowboys are no joke, man. I told you, this is a more, you know, playoff-ready team. They got a really good defense, a really good, pretty decent offense, especially now with Amari Cooper. Rams handled business. So, I guess before we get to the Super Bowl, it's kind of old school versus new school. Patriots, Chiefs, Saints, Rams. I don't know. I think it's interesting. So, anyways, I... I, I I guess I kind of want to look at uh, the teams that were eliminated and kind of get an idea of some of the coaches that maybe we could utilize right off the bat, although I don't really see him leaving unless we give him some kind of a promotion. But the Colts offensive line coach, Dave DeGuglielmo, something like that, the guy's been around for quite a while. He's been uh, coaching offensive line since 1993 with Boston College, uh, coached at Connecticut, South Carolina, the Giants from 2004 to 2008. The Dolphins 2009 to 2011, Jets 2012, Patriots 2014, 2015, Chargers 2016, Dolphins 2017, Colts 2018. So I guess the one encouraging thing is the guy's been doing lateral moves for a very long time. In the past 10 years, he's worked for the Dolphins, Jets, Patriots, Chargers, Dolphins again, and now Colts. That's six times he's changed jobs in 10 years. So it wouldn't hurt to give him a call. The reason I bring it up, though, 
Not that he's always been this successful. And yes, the Colts did add a tremendous piece at left guard. But the Colts currently, at this particular point in time, have the second highest graded run blocking unit in the NFL. The reason I find that to be significant is because they were the 29th best the year prior. So they went from 29th to second. Again, if you add a guy like Mr. Quentin Nelson to your offensive line, it's definitely going to help. But 29th to second is impressive. They were also ninth in pass blocking. So I think part of the question that I have is, there's a lot of different facets, but there are certain people that are coaches that even regardless of their talent, they're never going to really produce a top unit. So at the very least, we can say if we can provide him with players, he can turn them into a dominant group. And again, the reason I want to focus on this, especially run blocking, is because this is an area where the Packers are not good. And if we're going to try to emphasize this, they're going to need as much help as is humanly possible. Of course, they still have to pass block, and of course, that's still more important than run blocking. The only reason, again, that I'm emphasizing it is because this needs to be taught. These guys are as good as it gets. I mean, PFF graded them number one pass blocking unit in the NFL again. That's pretty consistent. They're always one of the top units. Even with, you know, garbage guards, they're still graded as one of the top units. They cannot run block. Packers had the number one pass blocking unit, 23rd in run blocking. The grade was a 55.4. As I've said, 60 is average. Now, granted, only 10 teams had 60 or above because the NFL just doesn't care about run blocking. But if we're going to emphasize it, I do think it's important. The number one group, by the way, is the Rams. So if we wanted to reach out to Mr. Andy Dickerson, assistant offensive line coach for the Rams, we'd have to wait for them to be uh, knocked out. I think either way, after this next week, we could, because there's going to be a bye before the Super Bowl. So I think we could reach out after that. But uh, Dickerson is in his seventh season. If you just look over the last three years with the Rams, again, I'm just looking at run blocking for for right now. Uh, In 2016, they were the 29th best run blocking team. In 2017, they were the fifth best. And then in 2018, the best. And look, it's, it's, this is, you know, who, who are the best run blocking teams? You don't think this is going to be an emphasis? The Rams and Sean McVay, the the third best team, the San Francisco 49ers and Kyle Shanahan, the second best team, the Colts. Where, where do the Colts come from again? Their head coach came from Doug Peterson, the Eagles, sixth highest run blocking team. Where did Doug Peterson come from? Andy Reid's team. Where are the Chiefs? They're the eighth best team. Tennessee Titans, where Lafleur came from, the ninth best team. The Reid Shanahan tree is all in the top ten, man. And you better believe the, the expectation is for the Packers to be in there as well. The Rams, the Colts, the 49ers, top three, all from those trees. The Eagles, the Chiefs, the Titans, all from those trees. Otherwise, the number four team is the Falcons. Well, the Falcons had Sarkeesian, but before they had Sarkeesian, who did they have? They had Shanahan. So the only teams that are in the top ten that aren't in any way related would be the Baltimore Ravens, the New England Patriots, and the Denver Broncos. Just trust me when I'm, t- when I'm telling you that this is going to be an emphasis whether you like it or not. The Packers' offensive line will block better in the run game. Running will become much more of an emphasis. It will become much better. It will be done much more often. And it's not a bad thing. Again, the Rams are the top team at running the ball. They emphasize it, and they run about as much as anybody. They run the ball quite a lot, as do the 49ers, as do the Colts, as did the Titans, even though they weren't very good at it. The reason I keep emphasizing this is because every time I talk about run blocking, I get scolded. Nobody cares about running the football. Well, yes, our head coach does. Sean McVay does. Shanahan does. Frank Reich does. Um, Andy Reid does. 
These guys emphasize it, and it shows. And it works. <laughs> Three of the teams that are in the playoffs still, the Chiefs, the Patriots, and the Rams, all top 10 teams. The Saints are the only team that isn't. They're 18th. However, Saints are third best in rushing the football. They don't have the blocking, but they're still very good at running. Chiefs are second. Rams are sixth. Titans are eighth. Colts are 11th. Again, these teams that come from those two trees like to run the ball and like to be very, very good at running the ball. So anyways, uh, we already got blocked from talking to the 49ers uh, run game coordinator. Uh, Jeff Stoutland is the Eagles run game coordinator. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be tough because he has that title. He was just promoted. He's, he's been with the team six years. He was offensive line coach. He just got promoted in 2018 offensive line run game coordinator. So it's going to be pretty tough to try to pull him away. Um, you know, it depends. It, a lot of this depends on their contracts. He was just added responsibility. But for all I know, he's in the last year of his contract. And a lot of these guys, the reason you would make a lateral move is because your contract's going to run out. I mean, even if you got two years left on your contract, if you've got two years left and somebody says, I'll offer you a five-year contract, well, yeah, I, I would like to work for five years, not two years. Not that anything is guaranteed, but, you know, you're, you're working contract to contract here. Uh, considering how poor the Chargers' offensive line was yesterday, and that was kind of my whole contention yesterday, is that the, you know, the tackles are very good, the interior is a nightmare. Well, they just got absolutely obliterated. Not really interested in calling them about an offensive line gig. Uh, as far as wide receiver coaches go, uh, I've talked about it before, but um, the Rams are number one, and I've, I've already talked about how they're the incredible season these wide receivers are having. So Liam Cohen is the assistant wide receivers coach, Shane Waldron, pass game coordinator. Both of these guys would be very much worth um, making a phone call to. Uh, Buccaneers are number two, that job, or that guy already got locked up. Chiefs being number three, they've got a guy by the name of Greg Lewis, so it's another name possibly. Somebody that just became recently available, the uh, Chargers, Phil McGohan, McGowan. Chargers were graded as the fourth best receiving team. Chargers have been top 10 since uh, like 2016, so they've been a pretty consistently solid unit. So again, with the Chargers being knocked out, that's possibly somebody the Packers could try to reach out to. Not entirely sure how interested I'd be with uh, reaching out to the Eagles because they're wide receivers I'm not all that impressed with and haven't been for some time now. As far as filling in that Joe Witt spot, uh, some interesting teams here. First of all, you've got the Chicago Bears. Beyond that, though, the Chargers were third. Chargers have a guy by the name of Ron Milis. Millis? I'm not sure how you say his name. But if you read his bio, the first thing it says, Chargers defensive backs coach Ron Milis added his fifth consecutive Pro Bowler in 2017 when cornerback Casey Hayward made his second straight appearance in the annual All-Star game. So this guy's just been killing it with the guys he has over there. Last year, the Chargers were second in coverage. Again, this year we were, what, what did I say, third or fourth? 2016, they were 13th, which isn't all that impressive, but, you know, first of all, that's growth. Second of all, the Packers were 31st that year, so who am I to throw stones? So, again, no idea if he's interested, if they would even allow him to, but uh, very, very good defensive back over there, defensive back's coach. Uh, finally, as far as the DB group, and I doubt he's going anywhere, but Mr. Kerry Coombs with the Titans was brought in by Vrabel. So, again, pretty unlikely he can poach him, but it's worth considering. The Titans were 20th in 2017 in coverage. In 2018, they were 5th. This team doesn't really have very good cornerbacks, just so we're clear on that. So, anyways, there, there really isn't a lot of news as far as what the Packers are interested in doing. I'm actually kind of curious if they're kind of waiting on some of these playoff teams because you look at the Browns and how quickly they're moving. You look at the Packers and how quickly they wanted to get a head coach. 
when they find somebody that they like, they move very quickly. There's not a lot going on, right? They're, they're interviewing some people. Obviously, there's no really good fit because they're just kind of letting these guys go. You got to wonder. So, again, I want to bring up these names because there's two new teams that got eliminated, four over the course of this weekend. Things might start to ramp up pretty quick if, if you know, any of these teams are the ones the Packers are targeting because I'm sure they've got a list of names and guys that they just can't quite interview yet. Beyond that, I'm not entirely sure who on our staff is still staying. There's no guarantee that everybody that's still left is still going to stay, whether that's getting let go or getting hired elsewhere. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping there's some pretty big news coming pretty soon. It's getting kind of dry out there. Also getting a little worried that we're, <laughs> we're not going to get anybody. We wait for somebody to become available, and then the team just says, no, they can't interview there. Well, now what? All right, so let's let's dig into a question here, and I, I really don't know how thoroughly I can answer it. Um, Maybe we'll just kind of scratch the surface and uh, dive a little deeper later. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But I got this question from uh, Matt, and this was on January 5th, so I guess it hasn't been that long. But let me read the question. Um, Can you compare the best team in the league compared to us? Do the best teams in the league have poor-rated players, or is everyone good? If you listed every player on the Packers based on their performance this year from top to bottom and compared it to the same list of the best teams in the league, how would we compare? Are we really three or four players away, or is the disparity much larger than that? So I sort of already did this. Unfortunately, I don't have the list with me, but when I did my um, when I did my mock draft for the Packers, I wanted to kind of mix it up because I was going to be doing a lot of different mock drafts. Oh, you know what? I Actually, I did an article, so I should have that list. But essentially what I did is I just took the starters that we have and then I just kind of gave them a grade. It's not necessarily the 2018 grade because some people are, you know, they either had a really good year that isn't really, uh, doesn't really encompass their overall production. Some of them had really down years, whatever. I kind of looked over the last few years if they had a few years and then just kind of gave them what I thought was a fair grade. And I took our list of starters and I I just kind of ranked them. Now one of the things that was kind of stunning was that the worst graded starting position we had was our CB3 spot, which was Kevin King. He was listed as our worst starter, worse than Clay Matthews, worse than everybody. I know that probably shocks a lot of people. I don't know if I said that on this podcast or not. But anyways, that was one of the things. But I think the other important aspect of this is we can compare apples to apples, but we also have to consider what are the important positions. You know, maybe we don't have as good a linebackers as some of the other teams do, but how does that compare to the fact that we have our quarterback. So looking at the premium positions and kind of working your way down and comparing that to the top teams that are in the playoffs and and that are considered top teams right now, what is the difference? Are we a couple players away? Are we there right now? What's the situation? Does that kind of make sense? That's what we're going to look at. So first of all, I just want to walk through what the Packers have. Um, According to Pro Football Focus, Aaron Rodgers, our quarterback, the most important position on the football field, was graded as the sixth best player, and he did have an elite grade. I've talked about it a little bit. For those of you that are new or probably stunned by that, he had a terrible year, he looked like garbage, blah, blah, blah. Essentially, what I can deduce from this is they put a lot of the blame on the wide receivers and not so much on Aaron Rodgers. In other words, when he was doing what he was able to do, he did a good job. So the question of do we have the piece at quarterback, absolutely we do. He's top 10 consistently, top 5 relatively consistently. Something else I looked at over the last, I don't know how many years he's been top 5. I don't know, like she's 7 out of 8 or something to that degree. It's it's pretty high. Uh, looking at wide receivers, essentially what we have is one wide receiver. If we look at sort of the, the grading 
a it's hard to say you you could look at it and say a wide receiver one should be in the top 32 right makes sense there's 32 teams you should have one that's in that top 32 however if your number one wide receiver is the 31st best wide receiver i don't know that you have a good number number one wide receiver necessarily mathematically it makes sense but it, that doesn't really do it for me however Devontae Adams was graded as the ninth best wide receiver. We do have a wide receiver one. He was very, very close to being given an elite grade. I'll just call him very, very good. With that same sort of thought process, our a, a number two wide receiver would have to be within the top 64, and then the top 96 would be a wide receiver three. Equinemius St. Brown was the only one within the top 96, the only top 100 wide receiver. And again, I'm not looking at this guy who was graded 83rd, Equinemius St. Brown, and saying, you know what, we got our guy. Even for a wide receiver three, I don't know that that's great. Now, I'm, I'm encouraged by what they're going to be able to do. I, I think they were poorly coached. I think the routes didn't make sense. I think Rye needed to go. You know, they, they didn't know what they were doing. They could not communicate with, with Rodgers. It just, it was a mess. New system, clean it up, get them open in space, let the, let the, the routes kind of do a lot of the work as opposed to you just need to get open get a wide receivers coach in here that can coach these guys up really well. I, I think we could at least maybe get a number two out of it or a, or a solid number three out of it. But as of right now, we just have one and a whole lot of nothing else. In order of talent, Equinemius St. Brown was our top wide receiver. Uh, Alan Lazard technically was our second highest, but it was one snap, so that doesn't count. Geronimo would be number two. And, I, and keep in mind, these are, these are pretty close. Uh, Geronimo would be two. Just nipping at his heels is Marquez. Slightly behind him is is uh, Randall Cobb. Behind him would be Jay Kumaro. Behind him would be Jaymon Moore. Uh, Jay Kumaro and Jaymon Moore were technically below average. Randall Cobb and Marquez, you know, basically Randall Cobb, Marquez, Geronimo, Lazard, all almost exactly average. Equinemius, slightly above average. They're they're all right at that average category, and none of them really are. I don't want to say they're not starting quality, but they're not wide receiver two. Maybe not even wide receiver three. So we, we've got one. We've got one wide receiver. As far as running backs, Aaron Jones, very good running back. He was graded as very good. He wasn't quite top 10. But again, this is a team that, you know, ran the ball 32nd most. De-emphasized, terrible run blocking group. Didn't care about it. Aaron Jones, if he can stay healthy, will be a top 10 back next year. We don't have to worry about that. Do we have to worry about depth? Maybe a little bit. Who's our number two back? Because I do think we're going to be utilizing two backs. Well, I mean, every team does. Even the Packers did. Jamal was graded as the 46th best. He had an above-average grade. Uh, Pass blocking was considered good, but as a runner, he was average. As a receiver, he was average. He's not terrible. I mean, especially when we're talking about, again, the value. A number two running back, I'm, I'm okay with Jamal. Would it hurt to draft somebody in like the sixth round as depth and see if maybe they can surpass Jamal Williams? I, that doesn't bother me in the slightest. Somebody mentioned to me a few days back that it, I think teams should just draft, like starting in the fifth round every year, fifth, sixth, seventh round, take a running back. Because there's so many late round guys that are just absolute freaks, you, you'd be silly not to. Fullback, I'm not exactly sure what it is where our plan is with the fullback. I mentioned that uh, between fullback and H-back, these Shanahan-type guys really do like to utilize those positions. Um, considering the lack of talent we have, uh, we, we, I mean, we didn't really utilize any of them, but we didn't have anybody that was even average, including Vitaly and Trey Carson. Uh, Vitaly actually was a very good pass blocker in his very limited snaps, terrible run blocker. 
Uh, Trey Carson was kind of average in both categories. Neither of them very useful whatsoever. If we want a fullback, we need to get a new fullback. That's all there is to it. Uh, tight ends, just pretty terrible. Um, we don't have a good tight end. Our best tight end on the season, I don't know if I actually did an exit thing here, but our best tight end on the season was Lance Kendricks. He was almost exactly average. Technically, Robert Tanyan was actually the best. I, sh I should say that, but he only had 68 snaps, so he wasn't officially given a grade because it was a too small of a sample size. But he was almost the exact same grade as Lance Kendricks. Now, it's encouraging that he was the top tight end as it is. Let's get some coaching in there. Let's kind of coach him up, and that's awesome. We got Robert Tanyan. By the way, Tanyan, our top run blocker and our top pass blocker. So you're looking for that H-back guy who can be a receiver, young kind of guy, but also can be used in the in the in as a blocker. Tanyan is the top guy on the team. Um, Mercedes was the one guy that was considerably below average. I mentioned the connection between Mercedes Lewis and the guy that they were interviewing for the wide receiver coaching job. Whatever. Point is, we really don't have a good tight end. We can, we can hope and pray for Robert Tanyan, but it's a necessity if we want to use a tight end, especially in today's NFL. Tight ends seem to be a pretty valuable asset. We just don't have one. And we're constantly pumping money into over-the-hill guys, Lance Kendricks, Jimmy Graham, Mercedes Lewis, uh, Martellus Bennett, Jared Cook. It just doesn't work. So tight end is a liability. Looking at offensive line, starting with center, we have the sixth best center. Obviously, there's typically only going to be one center. Obviously, there's some injuries that take place. So maybe there's, I don't know, 40-ish. But uh, top 10 is going to be top 3rd-ish. Top 5, you're looking pretty good. He, he's, he's a very good center. He's one of the best in the NFL. I was worried last year he had a down year, and they gave him a massive extension. I was kind of worried maybe he wouldn't bounce back. But, uh, you know, as per usual, fantastic pass blocker, uh, pretty average run blocker. Be pretty excited to see that change. Because if you remember, Corey Lindsley, when he came on, I really liked him. I didn't think he was going to amount to anything. But his whole thing was like, this guy can bench like 500. He can like rep 500 pounds. Like it's nothing. I'm exaggerating, but I'm just saying. I got real excited about that. This guy, I think with proper coaching, could absolutely be the kind of guy that just pancakes everybody in front of him. I mean, he's just raw power. Um, guards, obviously, are a joke. Now, it's not as bad as some teams. We hate it because we're used to good offensive line play. Um, Lane Taylor, Justin McCray, actually Alex Light um, were all above average. Adam Pankey was exactly average. That's what happens when you have one snap. Byron Bell and Lucas Patrick were the only ones that were below average. They were considerably below average. Now, I'm not saying we're okay at guard, but I am saying it's not as dire as a lot of other teams have, especially when you have a very good center, a very good left tackle. If we keep Balaga, a, a really talented right tackle, it's not the worst situation in the history of the universe. Still would like a new guard or two, though. Tackles, David Bakhtiari, number one in the NFL. Elite, elite, elite pass blocking grade, 93.6. Just incredible. Uh, his run blocking grade was technically above average, but not good. Uh, Brian Balaga was the 20th best tackle. So, again, using that same kind of logic, top 32 would be a, you know, sort of a number one. He's top 20, so having a 20th best tackle as your starting right tackle is pretty solid, especially when, again, David Bakhtiari is uh, numero uno. Jason Spriggs was actually graded as the 49th best, which isn't great, but considering how terrible he was, he actually finished the year above average. His pass blocking was actually good, and his run blocking was just average. I've been saying, I've been seeing him kind of grow. He came off some pretty bad injuries, and there was some concern about him actually ever being able to come back. Seeing that growth kind of take place, relatively um, encouraging. And again, when you're 49th and you're a third tackle, you're in the top 50, 
It's not great. I don't want you at right tackle, but, you know, give him another year. We'll see what happens. Cornerbacks are not good. Um, I, I, I really keep hammering this because Packer fans, I think, really do believe we have very good corners. We do not. We are really bad. Jair was graded as the 40th best corner. Again, top 32 would be a top corner, and even at 32, it's kind of like, eh, whatever. Jair is 40th. Now, he was given a good grade, not very good, good, and kind of barely good, 72.4. 70 is kind of when you get into the good category. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I was encouraged by what we saw. It was his rookie year. Things kind of fell apart. Everybody got injured. Defense was getting carved up. The end of the year, though, he really started to fall off. And I see a lot of times when people talk about the top rookies of the season, every time they don't see Jair on that list, everybody gets upset. Well, I don't know that he belongs on there. He was good. I'm excited. All that. Get it. Great. Got it. But corner is incredibly important. Jair is a good corner. But looking forward, we either need a lot of development from our guys, or we may need to consider getting another corner. And the benefit of that is if we do end up getting another corner and he ends up going on the boundary, first of all, you know, Devon House can be gone. I know everybody loves Bashad Breland. He was really not good at all. I mean, whatever. L- just listen. When things were really, 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 really bad with Randall and Rollins, the one thing that really, really upset me was they weren't even in the top 100. Jair is 40. That's awesome. Josh Jackson was graded as the 115th best corner. Kevin King, 113th best corner. I'm not even exactly sure why these ranks are what they are, because his defensive grade is actually different. Josh Jackson actually graded out better defensively and in coverage than Kevin King did, so I have no idea what's going on here. Bashad Breeland, 95th. Tony Brown, 129th. He was abysmal. Devon House didn't get a grade, but his grade was 28. Natrell Jamerson, 47. The only guy that was in the top 100 was Bashad Breeland, and his grade was terrible. Our corners are not good. Now, again, things really went downhill. Things got bad. We'll see what happens. Hopefully Kevin King in his third year can stay healthy and start playing good football because he hasn't to this point. And to be fair, and it's it's not fair, to, to further elaborate, Kevin King actually improved this year compared to last year. Substantially. Kevin King was horrible in his rookie year. He's still really bad, but he improved. Josh Jackson. You graded out as average, but you can't be the 115th best corner in the NFL. you got to be better than that. So our corners are a liability right now. They're not good. And I know, if you, again, if you do a mock draft or something and say we should take a corner, everyone's going to flip out. What are you talking about? we got Jair. He's one of the best corners in the NFL. Josh Jackson's going to be good in his second year. Kevin King is a stud. When he can stay healthy, Bashad looked like an absolute freak. I mean, he didn't get a lot of time, but, man, oh, man, he looked awesome. Tony Brown looks like an aw- Dude, they were bad. Real bad. Safeties, another issue. Um, Tremont, 84th. Josh Jones, 92nd. Kentrell Bryce, 106th. We don't even have somebody in the top 64. Again, top 32 is your number one. Top 64 would be your number two. Tremont Williams was our top guy, 84th. Now, Ibrahim Campbell, interestingly enough, he wasn't given a grade. But he had 114 snaps, and that's not super small sample size. Ibrahim Campbell was graded as very good. He was pushing elite. Now, could absolutely be a fluke, could absolutely be, but that's something pretty interesting to consider. His coverage grade was considered good. His run defense grade was very good. 
And for the record, this is a guy who's gotten consecutively better three years in a row. 2016, he was below average. 2017, he was above average. 2018, again, limited sample size. He only played, jeez, uh, I don't know, kind of like three weeks, two full games, 12 and 13, but he played very well. Just something to keep an eye on. Will Redmond also had the second highest grade, but he was five snaps, so that doesn't count for anything. Raven Green, a lot of people like Raven Green. I don't know why. He was really bad. Second worst safety on the team outside of Eddie Pleasant. Not good. So our defensive backs are still a problem. We have a lot of young guys, but getting somebody... And this, again, this is why I came out and said, why in the world are we saying Joe Witt is awesome? What in the world is it about Joe Witt that's so awesome? All these young guys, all this talent. Yeah, Bashad is good. Kevin King does have talent. Jair does have talent. Josh Jackson should have been a first-round pick. Tony Brown showed flashes of a lot of talent. Tremont Williams is talented. He was a top-10 corner just in 2017. Josh Jones, second-round draft pick. Where's the production? There isn't any. Joe Witt had to go. So we need to find somebody that can come in here, look at all this talent, and go, oh my goodness, these guys are freaks, and then do something about it. And let me tell you something right now. We, we can just stop this experiment. If he can get these guys to play really good football, turn this horrible defensive back group into a top, you know, just, just, just call it top 10, it's already guaranteed game over. Playoffs. Just, just, just call it playoffs. Uh, looking at linebackers, obviously we're not going to have time to go through to the extent that I thought we were going to, but that's all right. But we'll move on to linebacker Blake Martinez. A lot of debate about Blake, and it, it is pretty interesting because he was given a top 20 grade. He was 19th. His grade was considered good. The really weird thing, though, last year he had a similar grade, but it was because his run defense was so good. This year it's all coverage. His, his run defense grade was average, dead average. His pass rush grade, average. Coverage grade, very good. So, you know, and again, we saw this a lot with, with Petten. A lot of guys really started to struggle. Clay Matthews couldn't do anything against the run anymore, but suddenly his, his coverage grade was really good. I don't know where that came from. Maybe it's just a tweak of their responsibilities or what, but so it, it is a little weird, right? Blake isn't what he was last year, but he also improved exponentially in a completely different category. So I, I'm kind of iffy there. But uh, Antonio Morrison, terrible. Oren Burks, terrible. James Crawford was average, but he didn't really even play. Um, pretty excited to get Jake Ryan back. There's a lot of question about should we draft a linebacker. Um, I, I, don't, I don't see why not. I understand it's not as valuable of a position, but my contention is I want to start getting some freaks on this team um, as opposed to just drafting need, which I know the Packers aren't really known for. But um, we also are very rarely in a position to draft freaks. And it's the one thing, and I'm not going to keep hammering this. I do like Jair. And I was also opposed to Derwin. I, I've said that publicly, not because I disliked him. He's a freak. But again, I was looking at need, and that was my mistake. I looked at it and said, we got Josh Jones. We don't want to just abandon that pick after one year. Corners are bigger need. Let Jair make sense. I said, forget the freak. Let's look at the need. I don't want to do that again. If it's between a somewhat talented person at a position we need, let's say, uh, I don't know, Ja'Kai Polite. Ja'Kai Polite is not a freak. He's a potentially good football player. If it's between Ja'Kai Polite or um, James White, and, and let's, let's just pretend. Maybe you think Ja'Kai is a freak and James White isn't that great. Let's just pretend James White is an absolute freak. That's not his name, is it? It's Devin White. James White is the running back. If Devin White is a freak, let's just pretend he is, 
right? Not a super valuable position, but the guy's he's he's Luke Keekley. I want the freak, right? It's the same. I'm 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 changing my philosophy because we've we've got guys that are just good in a lot of positions. But you know what? The guys that are good aren't the ones that are. The reason we win is because of freaks like Aaron Rodgers and freaks like Devontae Adams and freaks like David Bakhtiari. Let me ask you this. Lane Taylor is not good. David Bakhtiari is a freak. Would you exchange David Bakhtiari and Lane Taylor for two kind of good guys at left tackle and left guard? Absolutely not in a million years. I'd rather have a a subpar Lane Taylor Maybe I'm being a little unfair, but again, just just bear with me. I'm just proving a point here. I want the freaks, man. So yes, I, I would take Devin White at linebacker if he's available and if he is by far the best player. I know Bukowski kind of popped off about, well, the number two linebacker doesn't even see the field. Well, yeah, that's because our number two linebackers are all trash. If it was Jake Ryan and Blake Martinez, they'd share they'd share responsibilities a lot more. And if we drafted a guy like Devin White, um, he would have a thousand snaps. He's not going to be on the bench. Maybe it would rotate between Blake and Jake. Who's going to be on the field with Devin White? But so what? So, yeah, that's that's somewhat of a need. Defensive line, I've already talked about my favorite coach on this entire team right now is our defensive line coach. Oh, my goodness. Kenny Clark, uh, one of the few people that does have an elite grade. I think he's actually only the second person outside of uh, Aaron Rodgers. Elite. Top 10. Seventh best defensive tackle in the NFL. Primarily, it's his run defense grade was elite, but his pass rush grade was also very good. Coverage is trash, but who in the world would care about that? Second best guy on this entire team, Tyler Lancaster. Where in the world did this guy come from? Very, well, actually, it's not true. A good run defense grade, mediocre pass rush grade, but just just a solid football player. Second best was Muhammad Wilkerson, something we haven't really talked about. Do we bring him back? Uh, I think the the biggest problem we have, we have a lot of really good run defenders. Muhammad Wilkerson, very good against the run. Dean Lowry, very good against the run. Tyler Lancaster, good against the run. We don't have a lot of good pass rushers. Mike Daniels, that was sort of his specialty. He was he was a better pass rusher than a run defender. But um, you know, I as far as defensive line, if I'm if I was to just get my pick of the litter, and I had to pick between Raekwon Davis, who's going back to college, but again, just bear with me, who is a absolute freak but is more of a run defender, or Ed Oliver, which I know seems like an easy, but pretend they're the exact same guy, but one guy rushes the passer and one guy stops the run. We need a we need a, a penetrate guy. I think the guys we have are, are really stout against the run, and we have a lot of those guys. Uh, Montrevious, who started the year horrible, but actually started to turn a corner, super encouraging. Again, I'm talking about growth. Montrevious was drafted and he was horrible. That's up to the coaches at that point to develop them, right? DBs aren't getting developed. Montrevious got developed. Mike Daniels got developed. Tyler Lancaster got developed. Dean Lowry got developed. Kenny Clark got developed. All these guys got better once they once they got drafted and brought onto this team. Every single one of those guys started somewhere and improved. We have a very good defensive line coach. I, I would say we should promote him to uh, run game coordinator very soon and give him a massive promotion because this guy is good and I don't want him to ever leave ever, 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 ever. Ever, ever. Finally, off the edge, obviously, we don't have anybody very good. Kyler Fackrell impressed a ton of people. A ton of sacks. His pass rush grade actually wasn't all that great. Um, again, sacks are awesome, but they're snapshots. If he got one sack in a game, what happened in the other 30 snaps that he was on? His number one grade was actually coverage, which is one of the cool things about Kyler Fackrell is he's, 
Um, sort of like Josh Allen, if you're paying attention to the in the draft, he's very well rounded. Mostly a pass rusher, but he's also very versatile. He could play outside linebacker in a four-three. He can play in coverage. He can he can use that athleticism in different kind of ways. He's a very versatile and and good tool. Problem is, he hasn't been a very good football player in any of those categories. But a little bit of development there. However, his rank fiftieth. Clay Matthews, 67th, Reggie Gilbert, 65th, Nick Perry, 107th, Fatal Brown, who only 215 snaps, but uh, he had a 55, below average grade, slightly above Nick Perry, believe it or not. So this, this entire group is terrible. Now, something else to remember here, Winston Moss was also fired. If I'm not mistaken, Winston Moss was going to primarily be in charge of the outside linebacker. Because he was the assistant head coach slash linebackers coach. Well, the only other guy that would fit that bill would be Patrick Graham, but he's inside linebackers. So you got a linebackers coach and you got an inside linebackers coach. That tells me Winston Moss was probably the guy. Now, Winston Moss was old school, which when I'm talking about the Packers, when I say old school, I'm talking about a guy that's just coasting. So he's not really pushing anybody. He's not developing anybody. The outside linebackers don't care anymore. Nick Perry doesn't care anymore. Clay Matthews doesn't care. Nobody's putting any effort in. He's also crazy. So, you know, I, I got to wonder, we all say Nick Perry has to go, but what if Nick Perry can come back and be that, that double-digit sack guy again? What if he can be the guy that he was in his contract year? What if Nick Perry is a first-round draft pick? We just got to get a new coach in here. I know that seems far-fetched, but it, again, outside of this year, he's been a good player. Last year, he was a pretty good football player. He's always hurt, but hurt is, has been his biggest problem, not talent. Again, if, if you extrapolate out 16 games at every season, he's a double-digit sack guy just about every year. This year, I don't know what happened. This year was a nightmare. And Winston Moss, who, again, in charge of the outside linebackers, was one of the first guys to get fired, which makes sense because his responsibility is these pass rushers, and they're a joke. So I, I think that's interesting. It's going to be interesting to have some conversations with the, the head coach, with Mike Pettin, with, uh, you know, Brian Gutekunst to really look at the talent and say, you know, yeah, we can maybe go out and try to pay some people. Maybe we can try to draft some people, and we will. But even if we draft Josh Allen, um, we're still at a bit of a deficit. And I'd much rather keep the talent we have if we believe that they're still talented. Even even if Nick Perry's mostly just an edge setter that gets nine sacks, whatever. That's worth it to me. Because that's a starting position. If it's Nick Perry of, you know, 2017-2016 Nick Perry, I'll take it, man. I'll take a good Nick Perry, even overpaid, with Josh Allen on the other side. And again, Josh Allen is going to be the more speed rush, pass rush guy. With Kyler Fackrell backing him up, what you know what I'm saying? Just a thought. So, anyways, I I didn't answer the question at all. However, we'll call that preliminary. I'm already at 42 minutes. I don't want to dive into other teams, but that's sort of the groundwork we're going to start with. And then tomorrow, pending some kind of crazy news, I want to start the process of kind of analyzing some of the better teams and looking at what exactly do they have that we don't. And the hope is that what I'll find is that there really isn't much of anything. Maybe one or two pieces, but primarily it's it's just we, we need a, a, a new focus and a new direction and, and whatever. So anyways, again, we will start that process tomorrow. You folks enjoy your Monday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.